Well, good morning. My name is Tom Werner. I'm one of the elders here at Green Tree Church. I'm glad that we are gathered, even if virtually, and that you could join in. We hope that you will find the worship service this morning an encouragement. Today is the beginning of the period in the church calendar called Advent, during which we celebrate the Advent, or the coming of Christ. So a few words about the direction of Green Tree preaching during this Advent season. I think that everyone with any familiarity with Christianity associates Christmas with the birth of a baby. Now I have twin grandbabies right at 18 months old and they are so cute. They are right about the age of the Gerber baby babies. They walk around like drunken sailors in their diapers. They talk a lot and say absolutely nothing understandable. And they are so cute. They are so sweet. When I've been around those babies for an hour or so, I go home and check my teeth for cavities. They are so sweet. And so I think that because Christmas is associated with a baby in a manger, and incidentally, a manger is a feeding trough, for animals in which Mary laid Jesus. So when we think of the manger and we think of the nativity scene, we think of those babies and we think so cute, so sweet. But Christians believe that the advent of Christ together with his death and resurrection, those events are the most important events in human history. So today we start our Advent sermon series titled the way of the manger, and we want you to think of the nativity scene as more than cute, more than sweet. Through this morning's sermon and the sermons you'll hear each week up until Christmas, we want you to think about the nativity as grand and complex and redemptive. We hope to take you deeper than cute and sweet. Now this morning, we're going to start the series by looking at the Old Testament prophecies related to the coming of Christ. And as we often do, I'm going to give you a sermon in a sentence. So the sermon in a sentence this morning is, The way of the manger starts in Old Testament prophecies about the lineage and birth of Jesus, so improbable to be fulfilled that they should challenge our minds and our hearts and the way we live our lives. So let's pray and we'll dive in. Father, we come to the time of year that traditionally may be the most joyful, the most joyous of all seasons. Thank you that though our circumstances may change, you are dependable and that you call us to yourself in every season. Help us to focus during these next few minutes on the advent of a baby, which was also in a most unusual set of circumstances, and to see what that birth means to us. We pray in your name. Amen. So let me ask you, how do you think of the Old Testament? Many people think of the Old Testament as a musty, fusty, dusty old book that is irrelevant to life. 
But it's my premise that if we are willing to look at the Old Testament, that book is a treasure trove. So we're going to look this morning at 12 prophecies of a deliverer in the Old Testament. And we will see that God has spoken to our heads and to our hearts through those prophecies and has offered us great riches. And along the way, we are going to cover the state of Texas in silver dollars. We're going to start with the views of Jesus on the subject of the Old Testament and Jesus himself. This is what he said. I'm reading in Luke 24. He said, everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. So Jesus says two important things about the Old Testament and the Old Testament prophecies here. First of all, he says that the writers of the Old Testament, Moses, the prophets, the psalmists, were writing about him, about Jesus. And he says that all of the prophecies in the Old Testament must be fulfilled. All right, so what are the prophecies of the Old Testament? Some background. So the exact number of prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament is a matter of some debate because it depends on how you count them. But there are some people who say from 50 prophecies up to 400 prophecies. We're going to focus our attention only on 12 prophecies of the lineage and birth of Jesus. We will, though, touch on some prophecies on other topics as we go along. So, we find the first prophecy of a deliverer just three chapters into the Bible. Our first parents had been tempted by Satan to disobey God, and tragically, they did disobey. And now God was pronouncing judgment on our first parents, Adam and Eve, and on the serpent. So, we read this. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So there are three prophecies in this passage. First of all, our deliverer will be human. He will be born, he will be the offspring of Eve. Second, our deliverer will be wounded by Satan. But our deliverer will destroy evil, which is what we read when we read that the head of Satan will be crushed by our deliverer. There were terrible consequences to the fall, but this is a fantastic promise by God that he will not let the fall stand. He will send a deliverer, who will be called the Messiah or the Christ. And there is going to be a showdown between this descendant of the woman and Satan. And the descendant of the woman will win. The deliverer will suffer a bruised heel, but a bruised heel will mend. But there is no recovery from a crushed head. We pick up another prophecy regarding the deliverer in Genesis 22 as God declared to Abraham 
through your offspring, through Abraham's offspring, all nations of the earth will be blessed. So our deliverer, who will bless all of humankind, will be a descendant of Abraham. Later, Abraham was named as an ancestor of Jesus in the genealogies in Matthew and Luke. God made additional promises about the deliverer to King David. God said, I will raise up your offspring, David, to succeed you, who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So our deliverer will be a descendant of David, and our deliverer will reign as king forever. And again, David was named as an ancestor of Jesus in the genealogies of Matthew and Luke. The prophet Micah tells us more. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. So our deliverer will be born in the town of Bethlehem. One more from the prophet Isaiah, who tells us this. The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, God with us. So our deliverer will be born of a virgin. Now I've said we will look at 12 prophecies about the deliverer and we've covered eight so far. And we will talk about four more in the next few minutes. But this last prophecy is just so crazy that we have to stop and ask some questions about prophecy. A child born to a virgin? So question, could the prophecy of a virgin birth possibly be fulfilled? And the short answer is, not in human terms. But everyone agrees that the conception of Jesus was very peculiar. For several reasons, some cultural, some biblical, it was highly unusual for a Jewish woman to have a child born out of wedlock. But in the first chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, we read that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit before her marriage to her fiancé, Joseph. Joseph knew that he was not the father of the expected child, and so he planned to end their engagement but then by God's intervention, Joseph decided to go ahead with the marriage. Luke also records that Mary conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she did not understand how this could happen. Then in the Gospel of John, the enemies of Jesus charged that he was the product of an illicit sexual relationship. And in fact, that continued to be the position of the Jewish people in the Jewish document called the Talmud, which was written sometime between the 2nd and the 5th centuries, the charge of an illicit affair between Mary and an unknown person was repeated. So everyone agrees that the conception of Jesus was highly unusual, but there are stark differences in the explanation for that unusual birth. So another question about prophecy. 
can a series of prophecies like these possibly be fulfilled in any one person? And again, the answer, the short answer is not in human terms. So there is another factor at work here, and that is that according to Jesus' own words, all of the prophecies of the Old Testament must be fulfilled in one person, Jesus himself. And that introduces extraordinarily, extraordinary levels of improbability. Let me illustrate by discussing some other unusual occurrences. Let's start with golf. So what are the chances? What are my chances of hitting a hole in one? Short answer, the odds of hitting a hole in one are about one in 10,000. Of course, the odds of hitting a hole in one depend on the skill level of the golfer. So Tiger Woods has hit three holes in one. For professional golfers, the odds are about 2,500 to one. For weekend golfers, the odds of making a hole in one are about 12,500 to one. Secondly, lightning strikes. What are my chances of being struck by lightning in a year? Answer, the odds of being hit by lightning are approximately 1 in 1,222,000. What are my chances of winning the lottery? Well, according to the New York State Lottery Commission, the odds of winning Mega Millions is 1 in 302 million. Round it off, of course. Question four. What are the chances of all three of these unlikely events happening to one person? And the answer is really, really remote. I suppose it's possible that you know someone who's hit a hole in one. Or it's possible that you may know of someone who has been hit by lightning. Not many people live to talk about that. Maybe you've known someone who has won the lottery. But has anyone heard of someone who has done all three of those events? Anyone who's been, who has hit a hole in one, been struck by lightning, and won the lottery? And here the task of calculating the odds becomes too difficult for me. So there is a way of calculating the chance that all three of these things could happen to one person. And I know just a little bit about that calculation. It requires multiplying the numerators. One times one times one. And multiplying the denominators. So the odds of, being, of having a hole in one, the odds of being hit by lightning, and the odds of being the winner of the lottery, and then you have to adjust for the number of people who are in the pool who might be able to do this, and I know just enough to know that I need mathematical help, but I do understand enough to know that the chance of these three things happening in the life of any one person is really, really, really remote. Now, the same principle applies to the fulfillment of multiple prophecies in the life of any one person. The chances that, that multiple prophecies can be fulfilled in the life of any one person become extremely remote. How remote? Well, there is a mathematician and scientist who has done some calculations for us. 
Mr. Peter Stoner was a professor of mathematics and astronomy at Westmont College in Santa Barbara, California. And in one of his classes at Westmont, he worked with students, about 600 students over several years, to calculate the mathematical probability of eight Old Testament prophecies being fulfilled in the life of any one person any time between the prophecies originally being made and the present. So the group started with eight Old Testament prophecies and assigned what they thought was a reasonable but conservative estimate that each prophecy could be fulfilled in the life of a person. Now I need to make clear that Stoner and his students chose prophecies that are different than my prophecies. So my prophecies deal with the birth and lineage of, of Christ. His deal with a number of different prophecies and they have only one prophecy in common, but you'll get the picture from Dr. Stoner's example. So what are the chances? First, the deliverer will be born in Bethlehem, according to Micah. The chance of fulfillment, well, it is 1 in 2 times 8 times 10 to the 5th power, which we're going to round down to 1 in 100,000. So the way they calculated this was that the chance of fulfillment is based on the average population of Bethlehem over time, adjusted for the total estimated population of the world since the time of the prophecies. I don't get it, but this seems like a reasonable approach to me. Second prophecy. There will be a messenger to prepare the way of the deliverer, according to Malachi 3.1. Dr. Stoner and his students said that the chance of that was one in a thousand. Now, in the life of Christ, this was fulfilled by John the Baptist, who prepared the way for Jesus. So how many of us have ever had a messenger to prepare the way for us? Well, personally, I've never had that experience. Perhaps you've had your own personal John the Baptist, who went with you everywhere you went, and before you went into a meeting in your office, or before you went into class, perhaps that messenger said, prepare the way of the Tom. I personally have never had that happen. The students said one in a thousand people have had that happen. So certainly that is a conservative estimate and they are not overemphasizing the improbability. Next prophecy, the deliverer will be a king who rides into Jerusalem on the foal of an ass. They put that chance of fulfillment as one in a hundred. Again, they are not exaggerating the improbability. One in a hundred is a very low rating. I, I've never, I don't, have no idea how many people have, have come into Jerusalem claiming to be king. And most kings, at least in modern times, pick something a little flashier to ride around in than the foal of a donkey. I think one in a hundred seems low. Next prophecy, he will have wounds on his hands inflicted by a friend. Zechariah 13, 6, chance of fulfillment, one in a thousand. Jesus did have wounds inflicted in his hands on the cross, and the betrayal by his friend Judas led to those wounds. Next prophecy, the deliverer will be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. Zechariah 11:12. chance of fulfillment, one in a thousand. Jesus was paid 30 pieces of silver to betray Jesus. Not 29 pieces, not 40 pieces, 30 pieces. 
The odds of one in a thousand seem very low to me, but Stoner and his students did not want to exaggerate the probabilities. Prophecy, the 30 pieces of silver will be used to buy a field from a potter. Chances of fulfillment, one in a thousand. Judas returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests, and the priests used the 30 pieces of silver to buy a field from a potter as a burial plot for the poor. A potter, you may know, is someone who makes bowls and plates from clay. How many potters do you know who have fields for sale? Again, the odds seem low. Then the deliverer will be oppressed and afflicted, but will not open his mouth, Isaiah 53. Most people accused of a capital offense protest loudly. Jesus did not. And the last prophecy, he was encircled by the wicked who pierced his hands and feet. Chance of fulfillment, one in a thousand. This is a picture of the scene at the crucifixion as Jesus' hands and feet are pierced as he is nailed to the cross and his enemies surround him. Dr. Stoner and his students ran the calculations that all of these things would happen to one person. And here is the chance that these eight prophecies could happen in the life of one person. And I'm going to show this four different ways. So the chances are one divided by one times 10 to the 17th power. That is 1 in 10 to the 17th. That is a 1 divided by a 1 with 17 zeros behind it. Or 1 divided by 1, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, Well, I have to confess that numbers like that really are beyond me. They don't mean that much to me. But... Thankfully, Dr. Stoner gave us a mental picture of this chance. So I have here my hat, and I have here two silver dollars. Came from my grandmother, 1879-1924. So let's pretend that I took a marker, and I took one of these two silver dollars, and I marked that silver dollar in red. And I threw both silver dollars into a hat. And I called up a silver dollar picker to pick out a silver dollar from the hat, blindfolded, of course. So as she went through the hat, she would have a one in two chance of finding the right silver dollar. Let's suppose that we put eight more silver dollars in here. And again, called up our blindfolded silver dollar picker. And our silver dollar picker went through the coins and pulled out one. The chance would now be a one in ten chance. Ten silver dollars in there. A one in ten chance of having the right silver dollar. Now, suppose that we had ten to the 17th silver dollars to choose from. That's our number. So the hat wouldn't work anymore, would it? We'd be looking to find the right silver dollar in a pile of silver dollars. With those silver dollars, we could cover over 
all of Houston, Texas in silver dollars and say, pick the right one. But we'd still have silver dollars left over. We could actually cover all of San Antonio, too, and all of Dallas. In fact, we could cover all of Texas with silver dollars two feet high, up to my knees. And now our silver dollar picker can roam wherever he or she wants, as long as he or she wants, over and in silver dollars, searching blindfolded for the right silver dollar to pick out. So that, ladies and gentlemen, is the chance, the same chance that that blinded, blindfolded silver dollar picker has to pick the right silver dollar, that's the same as those prophets writing in their own wisdom would have of making those eight prophecies and having them come to fruition in the life of Jesus of Nazareth. The same chance you would have if you were to be like a blindfolded Scrooge duck looking for one silver dollar in a bank vault the size of the state of Texas. Now, I said earlier that we would look at a dozen prophecies about the lineage and birth of Jesus. So far, we've looked at eight such prophecies, but I've intentionally held back the next four prophecies. This is your brain on prophecies. Each of the eight prophecies that we have looked at about the lineage and birth of Christ so far has appealed to your head. We've talked about our deliverer as born of a woman, someone who would be wounded, someone who will crush evil, descended from Abraham, descended from David, one who will reign forever as king, born in Bethlehem and born of miraculous birth. And I hope that you come to the point that you acknowledge that these things could never all have happened by random chance. And you may be to the point that you say, yes, there must have been a divine hand behind bringing all of these prophecies to pass. I believe that God acted to make and to fulfill these promises. Well, these last four promises are qualitatively different than the promises we have been looking at so far. These are promises for our hearts. You can see here a map of the human heart. The human heart has four chambers and each of these represents a basic human need. We need wisdom. We need power. We need belonging. We need peace. And God has promised to meet these deepest needs of our hearts through the child who slept in a manger. Here are prophecies 9 through 12, all in one passage. For to us, a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So this child, the son given to us is all this. He is wonderful counselor. He is mighty God. He is everlasting father. He is prince 
of peace. And this is exactly what we need. So we need a wonderful counselor. We need wisdom. We live in a period called the information age. There is so much information out there and lots of misinformation too. But we, despite the amount of information that is available to us, we have never been so fractured as we consider the most basic questions of life. Like, what is truth? Other questions like, where did I come from? What's the purpose of life? What's, what does it mean to live a moral life? Where am I going and what happens after death? We need information, of course, but what we really need is wisdom. And our deliverer is promised to be a wonderful counselor. The work of a wonderful counselor is to impart wisdom. So I would encourage you, read Jesus' story of the prodigal son. Read the Sermon on the Mount. Read the parables. How can anyone deny that Jesus of Nazareth is a man of wisdom? Is he not a wonderful counselor? Next, we need strength and power. Many of us feel powerless. We feel we have no power to change events. Our nation is plagued by racial strife. At present, our lives seem to be run by a microscopic virus, which dictates everything we do. We also see this individually. I may feel that I am powerless to change myself. But by the work of the cross, we have access to the power of God through the Holy Spirit and prayer. And these are means by which we can change the world and be changed ourselves. Third, we may feel alone in the world. We may feel misunderstood even by those closest to us. We need to belong. But through Christ, we become children of God. God became fully human and lived as we live, enjoying the pleasures, carrying the burdens which are common to humanity. And gave us a relationship with God. Our Father understands us even better than we understand ourselves. He is our everlasting Father. He belongs to us and we belong to Him. And He will never cast us out. And finally, we need peace. We live in a most contentious time. We are riven with strife. We are also not at peace with ourselves. St. Augustine understood this well. He said, our hearts are restless until they find rest in thee. Christ offers us a peace that is beyond understanding. The deliverer is our prince of peace. So there you have them. Twelve Old Testament prophecies about the coming of Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ, our deliverer. Eight for your mind, four for your heart. So how should we respond to the manger? Well, first we respond with our minds. God, God has given us the evidence of the prophecies fulfilled so that we would acknowledge his hand in our world. But we're not quite there. There is quite a gap between the head and the heart. A British politician named Andrew Bennett made this observation. The longest journey you will ever take is the 18 inches from your head to your heart. So we also respond to the prophecies by giving our hearts to the child in the manger. We see the right response by those who are actually physically present at the manger. The shepherds and the angels and the men of the east. They probably thought that the scene was cute. 
They probably believed that it was sweet, but what did they do? They did much more than believe in a baby who was cute and sweet. All of these bowed down in worship and proclaimed the glory and the goodness of God shown to them through this child. May we do the same. Let me pray for us, please. Jesus, our deliverer, we know that we are yours. You know every hair on our heads. You know our every need. You satisfy our heads and our hearts. You and you alone are our wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Help us to find peace in you. We bow our heads to you this morning, and we give our hearts this morning. We pray in your name. Amen.